right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Most of the guys were up at Pinehurst this past week, not watching much golf. They were there for an event we were hosting. I'm in wedding quarantine mode. I was not able to make the trip. So I tracked down Will Gray from the Golf Channel to recap this past week in golf. Start looking ahead. Uh, It's a lot of Bryson stuff. I'm not going to apologize because there is a lot to cover with him. He said a lot of things this week, did a lot of things this week. Actually, we didn't even talk about all the things he did this week. Berating a photographer, uh, shooting 62, and said he was healing it all day. He's the best and the worst, and we're going to talk a lot about that. I do want to give a shout-out to a loyal listener and a real actual left-hander, Josh Holman from the Lost Creek Golf Club in central Pennsylvania. He mentioned that when Tron decides to go back to playing right-handed, he says, I know where he... That set of his uh, clubs can go, which reminds us to bring up a few of the options you have for your clubs when they're being retired. We uh, we usually donate ours to the junior program here in Jacksonville Beach, the Jacks Beach Golf Association, and uh, encourage you to find a similar local option if there is one. Or if you're looking at some new sticks from Callaway, you can actually trade them in for credit towards some new gear. So those used clubs populate the inventory at CallawayGolfPreOwned.com. It's an amazing resource for a new full set or for filling in a gap in your bag or you know if you need some throwback options that you've always wanted to try. For all of you deal hunters out there, until Monday at midnight central time, you can get up to 30% off with no code required at CallawayGolfPreOwned.com. Take a look at the impressive inventory of used clubs at CallawayGolfPreOwned.com. Let's get to Will Gray and let's recap an exciting week in golf. All right, let's do uh, right off the bat, career earnings, Martin Laird. Including today? Yes. Uh, 18.2. Oh, it's 19.2, I think. <laughs> it was 18 going into today, um, which I, I guess I thought that was kind of a lot, but then he's been around a long time. But, yeah. uh, I mean, you, you had this one, right? You saw this coming? Uh, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just always ready. I've got, I'm, got my uh, foot on the pedal here for career earnings. Well, I just meant like the uh, for Martin Laird, like this week. You saw this coming. It was he was trending in the right direction, of course. Listen, yeah, absolutely. All you need is just one top sixty-five, and and you're good to go. That's that's all you need these days. <laughs> well, not only that, I, I I'm sure I, I I might have messed this up, but went to his OWGR page. His only top twenty finishes in the last calendar two years since you know they're counting points for him were in opposite field events leading into this. And he's a past champion of this event and has lost in a playoff in it, in this event. I'm guessing that's why there's a couple couple tickets floating out there on Twitter, uh, especially from Souls Vanquished, about when he won like $18,000 tonight. Uh, I guess that's the only reason you could have picked Martin Laird this week? Uh, potentially. I would I would just love to know if for 18K, if you're hedging at all, once you uh, watch him just absolutely throw up all over himself in those final two holes. But there is something we said for Martin Laird in desert golf. As you said, he, he's played well here before. He lives in Scottsdale. Uh, he's played well at the waste management before. So if you're if you're looking for kind of a theme here, whenever you get him, you know, west of the Mississippi and, and in some arid conditions, you might have a shot. Really would have, that's information that would have been very handy as of last <laughs> week. So yeah, yeah, look always, out for always. him in the desert. Yeah, after, <laughs> after he wins. Okay, we have to talk about the whole bunker shot on number nine because... Oh my gosh. The, can you set the scene for anyone that might have missed it? 
Uh, basically, it's a long par five. He, he hits a missile of a three wood that looks great. It's kind of similar to the shot that Sergio hit last week at the Sanderson that kind of bounced up and rolled to four feet for an eagle that won the tournament, except his plugged right in the face of the bunker. And he's standing with one foot in the bunker, one foot out. You, you really can't even see the ball. That's how buried it is under the lip. It's one of those ones where he's going to take a full swing and you kind of expect that it's just going to pop out and, and drop back into the bunker and he's going to be scrambling for par. And all of a sudden he gets it up over the lip. He's only 20 or 30 feet from the hole, but it just rolls right in. All of a sudden a scrambling par turns into an Eagle three and, and it clearly felt like his day after that shot. Yeah. And then uh, when it become, came very clear that it was his tournament to lose, it seemed like the nerves were getting to him a little bit, understandably, I think it's fair to say. The shot he hit on 17, you know, a one-shot lead, and just blocks it so far right, hits the cart path, goes a mile right. The announcers are saying he'll be lucky to make four from there. Can you tell us about the up and down he made on 17? Uh, first of all, eminently relatable to that tee shot. The, the wipey fade off the cart path is absolutely in my wheelhouse. That's when, one that uh, when you're we'll a fader out. and there's water left like that, there was only one way for that ball to go. Honestly, with under that much pressure, wind off the left, like you don't want to aim it at the water. I, I wasn't surprised to see it go right, but that thing just was pushed right, going right off the cart path. Um, and would have been interesting to see if there were fans up there. You know where that ball actually would have gone. Yeah, that was not a kind shot tracer moment for for Laird, but you're right. I mean, he ends up in this incredible spot where he's he's got to go under a tree, through the rough. If he hits it too hard, it's going to roll into the water. They're talking once again on on the uh, the GC telecast. They're talking about man, he'd be good to do four. He'd be good to make four from here. Uh, and all of a sudden, he hits a, a remarkable pitch shot, uh, very similar to something you might see over in Scotland, and rolls it up to maybe 15 or 20 feet. And for a guy who was struggling, that putt for par was a no doubt about it right in the heart. Yeah, and a little nervy on 18, I thought, with the chip and the uh, the approach shot and the tee shot really was, but uh, drains the birdie putt on the second playoff hole. Um, so happy for Martin Lair. That's, 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 uh, that is something that's cool to see. But, man, Matthew Wolf was 106th in the world when we came back and made the return to golf. Now he was 18th coming into this week and obviously rising after a second place finish. Uh, I, I, I just didn't, I didn't see this coming, man. I've been kind of a little underwhelmed, I think, with his, you know, other than the win he had. It's been a kind of a slow start to his tour career, but it's easy to forget how young he is. But what, what do you make of what Wolf has done over the last, you know, six months or so, five months or so? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting coming out of that break. You always felt like you, you're going to want to see who does the break hurt. A guy that comes to mind is like Sung J M, who was red hot and just hasn't got it figured out since then. Uh, mostly because he he wasn't allowed to play golf, you know, eight times a week for the break. But you know, Matthew Wolf is on the other side of who's going to use this break to really to really find it, and he has absolutely done that. It's funny that you look back now. One of the most pivotal tournaments of the year is going to turn out to be the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and that was one where where it's Bryson and Matt Wolf one two, and Wolf actually had a three shot lead going into Sunday and didn't really play that great. Bryson blew the doors off him, and you kind of wondered if is that going to be a flash in the pan or is that something he's going to be able to turn into sustained success? And clearly, it's been the latter. He was very impressive at Wingfoot, and this is a course where he played well last year, but but he comes back and, and really validates it. Now that's three uh, second-place finishes in his last 10 starts overall, uh, two in a row, and as you mentioned, he's he's knocking on the door of probably the top 15 in the world rankings. 
Well, yeah, and it, it almost feels like he hasn't gotten a ton out of the good golf that he's played, right? I mean, second, you said, at the Rocket Mortgage. T4 at the PGA when he had a very legitimate chance to win that tournament coming down the stretch. Second place, the U.S. Open, and then loses now in a playoff. I mean, obviously, a ton of runner-up finishes are, and top five finishes in majors are going to shoot you up uh, world ranking lists and, and every list that matters, uh, which I, brings me to the next question. I guess I, I, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened with him if the Ryder Cup was played, you know, in its current slot, because a lot of this is coming on, you know, the U.S. Open was the week prior. Uh, I don't know what they were planning to do with picks, really. I don't even remember what they were planning to do with picks. But looking ahead to next year, I mean, I thought I kind of felt a little bold in the spring when I was saying Morikawa was going to be on the team. That obviously looks very, very apparent as of now. But is Wolf a Ryder Cup for next year? Uh, what would you bet as of right now? Is he on the team next year? I mean, right now, it's hard to imagine a 12-person U.S. team that doesn't include him. It was it was just fun to watch him in the playoff, and you know that, that Martin Laird is feeling a little shaky, and Austin Cook hasn't really been in this spot a ton, and Wolf is out there. He is revved up, ready to go, talking to his caddy like it's a Tuesday practice round, and I just kept thinking, this is a guy that I want hitting a shot on the 17th hole against Justin Rose or, or Ian Poulter or something like that. Uh, you know, he entered this week 11th in the U.S. points race. Obviously, a lot had to do with those two top five finishes in the major. Uh, and, and he's been playing catch up because he's only been around for a little over a year, but but you project it forward. And as you said, Colin Morikawa is absolutely going to be there. But when you look at how far down you got to go, you're going to have a, a tough competition to make this 12-man roster. But you have to think that you could very easily see a Morikawa-Wolf pairing on Friday morning at Whistling Straits. And I think that uh, if you're Captain Steve Stricker, I, you know, sign me up for that one right now and I'll figure out the rest. Well, it, it's it's easy to get caught up, you know, with the uh, Morikawa, Wolf, Hovland trio to just get caught up in whoever is, you know, coming off the hottest week to say they're the, you know, they're playing the best, blah blah blah. blah. But I honestly kind of would have thought that we would have seen this kind of consistency and performance from somebody like Hovland more so than Wolf. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so, and I, and I think it's it was pretty understandable given that Wolf was was the first one through the door with the win that he is been the one who, at least until the break, he really kind of struggled to get his footing after that. And and a lot of that is understandable because there's so much going on. And and you have to remember, he's, he's what, two years younger than Morikawa? I mean, they're, we're splitting hairs at this point, but there is a difference between 21 and 23 when you're trying to wrap your head around being a, a PGA Tour superstar or at least close to it. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that we're going to look back at obviously those three guys are, are going to be the core of a group we're going to talk about, like we talked about the class of 2011 with, with Spieth and Justin Thomas and so many of those guys, but clearly they are on an accelerated track and, you know, you throw in Hovland for the Euros and you really expect to see all three of them at the Ryder Cup next year, which is remarkable given that, uh, you know, we're what, less than 18 months since that uh, press conference at Travelers where they all turn pro. Hmm. Well, my my personal, you know, Dustin Johnson can dunk a basketball fact is that Wolf is supposed to still be in college, so I can't talk about Matt Wolf and not not make that point at least. But uh, maybe he could be uh, on the on the Oklahoma State uh, football team here, and he could have a little DJ, you know, great athlete comparison. Oh, of in, course. In there too. Um, Patrick Cantley, what the hell happened there today? Uh, he shot a two over seventy three on a course that he is. Do I have it right? He's won twice and has a runner up. Does that sound right? And was in uh, the other league? way around. Oh, okay. He, he, yeah, he won once and lost twice, including last year in a playoff. 
Uh, it's a very short list since 1960. The, the tour comms group put this out of players to finish first or second four straight years at the same event. And of course, Tiger being Tiger has done it three different times at three different courses. Uh, Jack did it at the Masters in the 60s. And then Tom Watson did it at the Nelson. And Cantlay was in that mix. He was he was sharing the lead with, with Martin Laird entering the final round, two shots clear of everyone else. He kind of felt like he was the guy to beat for sure. Uh, and then he, he missed a three-footer on the first hole, uh, had to scramble to save bogey on two. And that was about all she wrote. And uh, yeah, it was absolutely surprising. He still finished T8. This is uh, a result that's not going to seem that alarming next year when you're uh, handicapping this event. Uh, but it, it, in real time, was a bit shocking. What do you make of this golf course? Uh, you know, I couldn't help but note, I think this cut was minus seven this week, which I know that par is irrelevant, but I feel like I always enjoy watching this tournament. Maybe it's because it always ends in a playoff or, you know, it has some good, somewhat good risk reward holes coming down the stretch. But, you know, sometimes the really low scoring gets to me and I don't really enjoy watching it. But I, I, I've, I, I really enjoyed watching today and I feel like I've enjoyed this in past years. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think it's fair. It was certainly shocking. I think this is the highest score relative to par for for a 36 hole cut in you know recent tour history. Part of that you have to throw an asterisk in because now they're going top 65 in ties instead of top 70 in ties like they have been in years past. But still, it's amazing to think you shoot 68, 68, and you you're slamming your trunk. I, I mean, that's incredibly hard to to wrap your head around. And there's a lot of guys. Jason Duffner, I know, who shot that exact score, uh, and he went home. A lot of guys, you you figure you shoot four, five, six under par through two rounds on a par 71 track, and you're going to be fine, and you're still playing for a paycheck. Uh, I will say this is, my my barometer is, you know, do you have a couple of memorable holes? And I don't really know that this reaches that standard for me in terms of, you know, two weeks from now, can I tell you one of the holes at TPC Summerlin besides, you know, 17 is a par three with some water? Okay. Uh, so I don't have this one super high on my list, but I will say, as you pointed out from a, a drama perspective, it somehow or another continues to deliver playoffs more than it probably should, including last year was a good one with Cantlay and, and Kevin Na. And this, you know, certainly proved to be at least a very interesting final 60 or 90 minutes to watch coming down the stretch. Yeah. I don't think they're pulling eyeballs away from NFL. And I, I, my favorite are the people that, you know, follow, follow us, you know, for golf takes. And they're like, uh, stop tweeting about golf football's on. It's like, man, what, what do you think you're going to get out of this? Like, I, I'm watching so – I, I don't want to be watching this. I don't always necessarily want to be watching this, but I kind of feel like I have to. Like, am I just not supposed to talk about it? But, uh, yeah, it's a tough – they were up against a lot. We'll get into some KPMG stuff here. But they are up against a whole hell of a lot going on today. Yeah, but that's also, you know, part of the deal when you're playing 45 events out of the year. And, and you're going to have weeks like this where, you know, pandemic or non-pandemic, you're going to be running up against – some other big events and and that happened today but i still think that that you know you're clearly at this point you're serving the core golf audience and i think from a, from a viewer perspective and from an entertainer's perspective you know it was fun to watch and, and as i said you know you, we can make jokes about you know the white fade from from laird on the 71st hole but i think that there wasn't a sense that was pretty relatable to that to see you know this is a guy who was won three times before in the pga tour he's not a scrub and he did struggle with that coming down the stretch on 17 and 18, trying to deal with the pressure of getting your first win in seven years and getting it across the finish line. I thought that was kind of interesting to watch. Hmm. Yeah, it was It was uh, good TV and also a, a real sneaky, not sneaky, I guess it's it's gotten full-on attention here for Will Zalatoris. <laughs> I think he needed a, <laughs> a two-way tie for fifth or better to get special temporary membership, and he finishes in a three-way tie for fifth. Like it's comical how how hard it is it has been for this guy to get on the PGA Tour. 
Yeah, but I think right now we're just talking about semantics. I, yeah. I have to double check the numbers. I, he, I think he's like three or four points short of special temporary status, which, you know, if you try and explain that status to anyone, even the, the 95th percentile of golf fan, it's it's too long of a conversation to figure it out. Just uh, you're deep in the PGA Tour rulebook at this point. But the, the fact of the matter is he's basically already played his last corn Ferry event for the foreseeable future that you know he's only this was the first event that he actually had to use one of his seven sponsor exemptions once he basically makes a cut from here on out over the next five or six events he's going to have stm and then he's got unlimited uh sponsor exemptions for the rest of the season and clearly he has such a head start right now with i believe what three top tens already in the wraparound season including the us open which had some extra points that that he's going to be able to equal whatever the top 125 is for for this season he's probably not without a win he's, he's not going to be able to be in the playoffs in august next year but when you're looking at you know am i going to have pj tour status am i going to have a card for the 2021 22 season uh that starts in 11 months or whatever he, he's going to be there and i do think an interesting you know storyline to, to watch over the next few weeks as he continues to play is that top 50 in the world because if he gets top 50 in the world rankings at the end of this year that gets him into next year's masters in april regardless of if he has pj tour status or not so that's definitely going to be a big incentive for him uh, continuing down the stretch here over these next few weeks he's not sneaking up on anyone but just like so people are clear and i, I know this is something we talked about with the the data golf guys i think we did at least i i i've always noted on their website just how highly they have him ranked even as a corn fairy tour player and looking at it now i'm assuming this doesn't count this week even they have him as the 29th best player in the world and he is one of the largest uh deltas between you know their rank and his official world golf ranking which i think was 71 going into into this week and so uh it, it, he might be and he's going to get the starts as you just mentioned and he's you know every time you get it finish in the top 10 on the pga tour and you don't have status you can get in the next week as long as it's not an invitational so i don't think he can get in uh zozo or the cj cup but he'll be in is it bermuda i think that is, he, he now gets but he might otherwise have been the biggest victim of the mega wraparound season and the fact that no one is graduating from the corn Ferry tour to the pga tour this season is that fair to say Oh, absolutely. I, I think that he's definitely the guy, you know, he, what, last week at Sanderson, he missed the cut, and that's the first time since the break that he's finished outside the top 20 at any golf course. I mean, just, just showing up 10, 12, 14 straight weeks on, you know, some courses are going to be hard and fast, some are going to be soft, and, and it's, you know, a wide spectrum when you're talking about even just Wingfoot to Punta Cana to Summerlin, you need a lot of different shots to be able to contend on each of those golf courses week in and week out and and he's figured it out but yeah i think that he was absolutely the guy that you looked at and you're like he's basically been put in a one-year penalty box and he's not gonna be able to get up outside of you know the the tour had offered some some limited availability to the top corn fairy guys in terms of getting into events like punta Cana or like bermuda but now clearly because of his uh fast start because he had a timely uh, top 10 finish at the U.S. Open. It looks like he's going to break through and, and you know, nature finds a way. And he's he's definitely uh, found a way, it seems, to basically turn him into a de facto PJ Tour player this year, even though he's probably not going to have, you know, the PJ Tour card in his wallet until next year. What do you think of, is the route to become, to getting on the PGA Tour a bit too difficult for some of these top players? Does it feel like we're kind of, the tour is eating its young in, in a way? Potentially, I think that the you know the tour is a member-driven organization, and there's some incentive to protect. You know, protect might be a strong word, but to to make sure that the guys that that make it through, that have made it through that gauntlet before, that they have a little bit of of margin for error. And uh, you know, you, we talked about 
Seven under was the cut this week at Summerlin. Well, six under was the cut at Orange County National for the Corn Ferry event. So you could shoot another, you know, 68, 69, and you're going home for the missed cut at, at the Corn Ferry event. So it, it doesn't necessarily get a ton easier when you drop down a level. And, and clearly Zalatoris is displaying the inverse by, by taking a, a great Corn Ferry game and making it into a great PGA Tour game. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard because personally, as, as a fan, I love the drama of Q School and give me one week a year that I can circle eight months in advance and know that if I have my A game during this specific week on that course, I'm going to get a PGA Tour card. And even if you have to limit that to five PGA Tour cards or something like that, I would love to see that introduced as, as something down the line. But, you know, the, the Tour has created this huge structure that, you know, they've got from from the ground up when you include Latino America and the McKenzie and all the way through the Corn Ferry, they have created this system that they've subsidized to create the pathway to the PGA Tour. So uh, clearly it works for them. And, and it's certainly something where once you're there, you're it, you know, you've got some staying power more often than not. Hmm. I, I, I think there's got to figure something out with and this may be a separate conversation, but you could early on in the season, even you can be really high up on the FedEx cup list and not making it in the tournaments. Like you can be top 10 in the FedEx yeah. cup. And if you don't, you know, you can get bumped out of tournaments once the big guys come back. And it's, I mean, Corey Connors and Matt, yeah. Every in the last couple of years, I mean, Connors, you know, was the Monday qualifier, but he was, he was like 60th or something in the, in the FedEx cup. And he just, he had the wrong status and, and, couldn't get in. I will say, I think it's interesting. Now you add, uh, you know, this week's event, you've got Sergio last week, you've got Hudson Swafford, Stuart Sink. You, you've had, you know, take the US Open out because I don't feel like that counts. But all four of the early season events have gone to veterans who have, you know, gotten redemptive victories, guys who have broken multiple year victory droughts, and, and they've gotten it done. And I think that there is something to be said that you don't have this young, fresh blood coming up from the Corn Ferry Tour. You don't have 25 or 50 guys that just got their cards and they're chomping at the bit at some of these these fall events that essentially offer a three-year exemption. And and I think that maybe in an ordinary world, we might have seen someone of that ilk or, or a Will Zalatoris type player come up and snatch one of these first four events. And instead, because it's a situation where, hey, if you had a card last year, you've at least got some status this year. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise that the biggest beneficiaries thus far have been the veterans. Yep. And a sneaky top 10 this week for uh, Justin Suh, another guy who's uh, doing this on sponsor exemptions. He, he finished two shots out of the top 10 at Corrales uh, a couple weeks ago in, uh, at Putacana. So another guy, to, another another young guy to keep an eye on for uh, trying to claw his way uh, onto the PGA Tour. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Whoop. Gotten a lot of questions lately about what is our code? What's your Whoop code? I need to know your Whoop code. Listen, we say it on every episode, but I'll say it again. It is no laying up, all one word. You can do caps, you can do lowercase, whatever. No laying up at whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. If you don't know what Whoop is, it is a fitness wearable. It gives you personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how well your body is recovered, how much stress you're putting on your body throughout the day. It is extremely motivating both for kind of limiting some of the drinking that I do and also to get my ass off the couch to go work out. It's telling me your body is ready to work out today. It's ready to take on strain. Don't let it down. It tells you when you probably should go to sleep. I start going to bed a little bit earlier knowing that I'm going to wake up with a nice green number in my recovery score. It makes me ready to take on the day. It is 
truly a great beneficiary to me in every way. It's a product I'm very passionate about. Excited to share the discount code with you guys. You get 15% off when you use the code no laying up at whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop today. Let's get back to Will Gray. All right. Big deep breath now. Are we ready to... Uh, I've put it off as long as possible. I would have started the show with Bryson if I, if I could have. Maybe I could have, <laughs> but I feel like even in a week where you know he finished tied for eighth, he finished five shots back, I feel like he was all I could... I could that could really gather my the majority of my interest coming in uh, coming into this weekend and whatnot. Where do you want to? Where, where's the best place to start with Bryson? Uh, I think let's let's start with the Fitzpatrick comments because I thought it was interesting just to have this back and forth where you know maybe this is part of the the pandemic media setup, but I love this this that you so rarely get in golf of hey player A player B said this exact thing about you what is your reaction and they basically you know they're playing eight time zones apart and they had this back and forth uh, over this the, the topic of, of distance and and where things stand this year. Well, and shout out to whoever asked the question. I don't know who it is. I read the transcripts, but, you know, this is what I've been begging for with the Kepka thing. Is like after Kepka lobbed a steroid shot at Bryson, nobody asked him about it. And I know – can you speak to some of that? I know you're one of the guys that goes and goes to these press conferences and actually does ask questions, and I'm not one of them, so I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy lobbing shots at that. But I, I, does it feel like – I don't know. I feel like writers and stuff need to steer into this stuff more often and say, hey, this guy said this. What is your reaction? That's like WWE Formula One stuff. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Uh, and as as you know, I've certainly asked Bryson a few questions this, this summer that have <laughs> gotten uh, Remind in us interesting on that places. One. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, he and I had a discussion in Detroit when when he had his his cameraman uh, issue and and basically he explained that the cameraman shouldn't have been in his face because it could uh damage his brand and and that's something that we saw flare up again uh this week when he kind of started chirping at, at someone as things were going south on saturday but uh you know personally i don't i don't mind it i'm i'm fine to jump on the grenade so to speak if it's a fair question i do think that there's some uh you know intricacies to the media game in terms of balancing your long-term relationship with a player that you're going to see later this week three weeks from now that you might need for a story a month from now at the masters or things like that and and that uh you know it's easy to you know roll into the wwe mentality if if you don't have to see the guy two or three weeks from now but uh yeah i i think that there is something to be said for potentially just when you have a situation like this where you say listen matt fitzpatrick is a player who has great standing in the global game he's probably top 20 in the world and so he has a voice in the game and he thinks this very specific situation based on what you specifically are doing in the game and, and how it's affecting the game overall and so i think that it was definitely uh fair game to, to come at bryson and kudos to him for answering the question and saying hey i appreciate the comment and here's my retort and here's how i think that maybe you know i view things a little differently than fitzpatrick does well let's unpack it a little bit and i'm, I'm gonna I, I don't know who i forget who asked the question to fitzpatrick or where the original source was of this was but fitzpatrick said I'm biased because I'm not quite the longest, but in the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, fair play to Bryson, he won and shot six under. But the fairways were tight as hell. I drove it brilliantly and actually played pretty well, in, uh, in parentheses, despite missing the cut by one stroke. But I was miles behind. He's in the rough and miles up, and he's hitting wedges from everywhere. It just makes a bit of a mockery of the game. And he continues, 
I looked at Shot Tracker yesterday to see some of the places Bryson hit it, uh, referring to DeChambeau's first round in Vegas. He was cutting corners, and when he's on, there's no point. It doesn't matter if I play my best. He's going to be 50 yards in front of me off the tee, and the only thing where I can compete with him is putting, which is just ridiculous. We're going to, But we're going to see people going harder and harder at it. Look at the college kids coming out now. Matt Wolf, Victor Hovland, they just smash it, basically. Matt is a great player, but it seems to me the game is smash it and get after it and play the next one from wherever it is. And then uh, there was another question that was asked to him, and he says, I really hope they do. In my opinion, it's not a skill to hit the ball a long way. I could put on 40 pounds. I could go and see a biomechanist. I could gain 40 yards. That's actually a fact. I could put another two inches on my driver, but the skill is to hit the ball straight. That's the skill. He's just taking the skill out of it, in my opinion. I'm sure lots will disagree, but it's just daft. Hmm. Lot to yeah, unpack it, there. I, I'll, some, yeah. I, some I agree with and some I don't. What's, what's your reaction to, to uh, Putting Bryson's response to it aside, or uh, Fitzpatrick's statements in general, what's your reaction? Uh, so overall, I think that there is some some merit to his claim, but uh, it does strike me just not necessarily in the wrong tone, but I just kind of bristle a little bit uh, at this, especially the notion of like, well, I could go out and put on 40 pounds and I could hit the ball super long. Well, yeah, and everyone could. And that's what Bryson did. And, you know, I I am I am not a, a Bryson hater by any stretch of the imagination. And I think in this in this situation, he deserves a lot of credit because he took. He, he called a shot a year ago, and he's he's using things that are available to any other player. And if, if you want to gain 40 pounds and drink eight protein shakes a day and swing out of your shoes and chase 200-mile ball speed, anyone on tour could probably do it. And, and he has found a way to do it and limit the variance at a very high level, and that's what's really proved to make the difference. Uh, you know, I went back after after reading these comments, and I checked the, the scores from, from Wingfoot, and Matt Fitzpatrick hit 14 out of 28 fairways through the first two rounds. Bryson, 14 out of 28. They both hit the same number of fairways through two rounds at Wingfoot. So I know that Matt says he drove it brilliantly and the fairways are super tight. And yes, Bryson has an inherent advantage you know, from the rough because he's hitting a wedge and other people are trying to hack out a, a six or seven iron. But but the fact is he's able to you know add multiple standard deviations or whatever and really not lose a ton in terms of a control. And, and I think that that is really what puts him over the top, or at least has an, in the short term. And I think that he does deserve a lot of credit for, for calling his shot, finding a way to break the mold, and then going out and, and doing it without totally, you know, spinning his game in circles. How many times have we seen guys chase, you know, three or five yards extra in distance and absolutely lose their game or, you know, try and change a, a fade into a draw or things like that. And here, this is a guy that was top 15 or top 20 in the world had won four or five times already on the PGA Tour, and he said, I'm going to break it all down and rebuild it. And he managed to do that in a matter of months and not years. I think that there's a lot of elements to that uh, that are really, really respectable and deserve a hat tip. Now, the original claim on Matt's part is this kind of changing the game and, and taking some of the skill out, uh, potentially. But, but you know, I think that everyone has at their disposal what Bryson has been able to do, but he's the one that went and did it and pulled it off. Yeah, he Matt had me until the end, really. Um, you know, talking about the the setup and how basically it was very favorable to Bryson and all that. I'm I'm totally on board there. He really didn't make the point enough about technology, which I think I think the point is, and I am a million percent on board with everything you said about Bryson. You know, the steps he's taken. Everyone has the current opportunity under the current rules to do exactly what Bryson is doing. Okay, and Bryson. 
I will say, I think, and I said this before, he's the only guy capable of doing this. Phil's kind of trying to do it, trying to hit bombs, do whatever, and it hasn't worked out well. And Bryson has hit it so unbelievably straight. Again, the numbers aren't going to check out for that as far as fairways hit, but just the natural dispersion patterns when you hit it 380 yards are going to mean you're going to miss some fairways. What he's been able to accomplish is incredible. I think there is a ton to the point where, and this is where Matt kind of lost me, is like, the, the case is against the technology that allows you to do this, right? If you had a spinny golf ball that was 300 cc's instead of 460, do I think Bryson would be taking this approach? Would the, you know, would the balance be there? No. And that's where I think he should have gone with this other than like, hey, I could gain 40 if I wanted to. And, you know, the skill is to hit the ball straight. I think the overall thing that's been diminished is like it's so much easier to hit it straight with the current setup in technology, which is why we are going to see, and I think we're starting to see, guys inching more and more towards this setup. Uh, I don't want to shift into this just yet with Rory, but we're seeing some of this, uh, some Instagram stats coming out from Rory and some numbers that he's been posting. But um, it seems like the, Fitzpatrick's comments honestly kind of set the debate and the discussion back a bit because it does come off as sour grapes to me. And I, to your to your point, I think Bryson handled it very well with with the answer that he gave and whatnot. But I my beef is one zero percent with Bryson for everything that he's done, the approach he's taken. Look, is he like a tool with ninety nine percent of the things he does? Yes, that's a completely separate topic, though. And that like yes, he has every right to do this, and he should continue to exacerbate it. I want to see how far he can push this because I think he's truly going to be the one that that starts to drive change in the game. Yeah, I think when you talk about the equipment stuff, I, I tend to agree. And that's kind of where it, it's more, you know, eye popping for me in a negative way. When I hear him talk after the first round, someone, uh, I think it was the Sirius XM PJ Tour guys asked him, what's the longest club you hit in to a green? He said, I hit a six iron, but that was for my second shot on a 600 yard par five. I think the longest club he had into a par three or par four was a nine iron which he hit from like 205 and hit it to five feet. And and I believe it was Jamie Weir uh, said this on Twitter where he said, you know, you're, you could almost see Bryson getting to a point where you don't need the the long iron game, that he's taken this this area that is fundamental to the game that, and he's eliminated it entirely, that you could absolutely see him functioning with a setup of, you know, fairway woods driver and like seven different wedges because you don't need like where in what world is Bryson hitting a three, four, five iron into anything. And, you know, if you're hitting your, your six iron 240 and, and your nine irons going 200, you can just kind of calibrate it from there and, and put in as many wedges as you want. And so I think that when you get to something like that, and again, no, no fault to him. If, if those are the clubs he needs to hit the ball to five feet, go for it, more power to him. But I think that that's when you might reach a point where you really start, you know, the phrase gets, gets uttered a lot, but it's like, this is a game with which I'm not familiar. I feel like that might meet that, that test. Is it, and I don't want to get too into Augusta just yet, because I think there's a lot to discuss there, but do you think it's a possibility that he comes out with two different drivers? Uh, sure. I mean, why not? I absolutely think that for as much as he's teasing it right now, he's going to at least try with the 48 inch driver. And that's the maximum allowed. Uh, I believe it's an inch and a half or two inches longer than what he currently uses. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a little you know, tongue in cheek where he came out this week and he said, I don't want to talk about how far it's going. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. OK, got it. Yeah. Uh, but no, the uh, yeah, statement I, was, I will not disclose that right now. I don't want to ruffle any feathers like that was actually you were not really paraphrasing there. Yeah, Those are the actual yeah, words I, he said. Uh, he's not in front of, you know, a House Judiciary Committee or something. We can just 
you could just go ahead and say what you're saying and, and not really kind of puff it up a little bit. But yeah, I could I could see him doing a lot of things. And, and he said after the round today, he's basically he's not playing the rest of the way until the Masters. And he's going to first of all, next week, he's going back. He said, uh, I'm just going to bulk up. I want to hit 245 on the scale for the first time ever, uh, which I think goes we can have a larger Bryson discussion. But I think that the 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 issue with Bryson might be I don't know there's any point at which he would ever stop like the guy just he just won the US Open by six shots. And there's there's a bit of this that's kind of the tiger comparison of everyone goes back to well why didn't tiger just stop with the swing that he had in 2001 he won the grand slam and just just keep playing that golf for forever and he he made changes from there and i feel like bryson might fall into the the same situation where it's never going to be enough it's never going to be fast enough far enough he's never going to be big enough uh and that chase is going to continue and part of that is what got him to this point but i think part of that is going to be something to continue to watch but yeah he said i'm going to go back and hit 2000 drivers over the next four weeks i'm going to try and get more swing speed uh you know tinker with the 48 inch driver and and see what he can do so all bets are off right now in terms of what he's going to show up uh, in terms of equipment once he gets down magnolia lane yeah and, and i felt like i i got a little sense of you know see like see it doesn't work I, I, we don't need a rollback like look he's he's in the woods this week or he's look how many balls he lost on on saturday like oh he's gonna break the game all this blah blah it's like oh my god guy like are you are you guys paying attention to what's happening right now first of all as we're as we're talking about he's only getting started and two like it's no one is saying this is gonna work and win every single week we're saying that like to to use some of of you know Fitz's words and what I think the point he was trying to make was like he is making a mockery of the current setup of the rules. Like I don't think he's making a mockery of the game. The mockery of the game comes from the fact that they have not done anything in reality to rein in the incredible distance that the ball has been going for the last ten to twenty years. And bright, it's going to take someone like Bryson to really to really get it to the next level of saying like. All right, does Bryson need to chip it well, hit great approach shots, and putt it well at Augusta to win it? Yes, but you know what also helps is if you have wedges into almost every single hole and you're hitting nine irons into number two, and if you get it to the downslope on 15, again, we're talking about numbers that, you know, and, and again, to his point, and another quote he has about the 48-inch driver, you know, in what he's going to be doing, he says, I'll be home testing uh, shafts and driver heads trying to get the exact right combo for the 48 inch driver. I will say I've already tested it. There are speed improvements, speed gains, and it's exciting. It really is something crazy that I never thought was even possible. The numbers that it's producing are staggering way more than what I'm doing right now. So if I can get it dialed and get the miss hits working correctly, I feel like I can easily put that in play at Augusta. It's a golf course. I can definitely put that in play. Uh, there are some golf courses that the 48-inch driver is not going to work at, so I can see myself using different drivers for different weeks for sure. It's like, okay, that statement right there, you know, if we hadn't seen any of this so far, can come off as kind of like, okay, all right, buddy, we'll believe you when you see it. We've seen it, all right, man? We saw Wingfoot. We saw Rocket Mortgage. We've seen what happened at Schwab, the lines he was taking on that. And if he's truly saying that the gains are really there and that he's saying it's having a higher apex, which means the trees on 13 are going to be more coverable. He says it looks like a missile coming off the face. Like, how is this isn't sending alarm bells at the regula uh, regulatory bodies? I, uh, I've I've talked enough about this. Where what is your stance on this? Tell me and feel free to just take the polar opposite view if you want to, just for sport on this. So on what needs to happen with technology? <laughs> this is something where I feel like you can. I agree with you. You point to it and you say clearly there's something that needs to be done about you know equipment, technology, what have you. And then I think when you follow it up, 
is when you run into issues in terms of all right so what what should be done and what should it be is it is it rolling back the ball what does that mean it's you know are you gonna have a tour ball and then you have you know an amateur ball i don't know and i think that if you if you're playing a ball at 70 percent or 80 percent capacity well bryson's still gonna be you know four standard deviations ahead of zach johnson and and so now what have we really accomplished other than just you know changing the numbers on the on the scorecard like you change par but uh, so, so I think it's it's a very nuanced topic, and I think that it's one that, to your point, is the the result of 10, 15, 20 years of, uh, you know, something where they just were willing to to look the other way, maybe a, a bit strong, but but I think that it, it didn't become this boiling topic as it has over the last couple of years. I think that it took with the anchoring ban, it took a couple of guys winning majors for for them to make substantive changes, and I think that maybe you'll see something similar to that given what Bryson and some other guys are going to do if as you said you know Rory starts leaning into the track man and we've seen Phil do it and and maybe this is just the start uh, of a groundswell movement but I think that you know when you're talking about Bryson and Augusta I go back to you know what Fitzpatrick said and the part that really rang true for me is you know say what you will about you know everyone could have done it but the fact of the matter is that Bryson as currently constructed when he is on he's almost untouchable like there's only going to be three or four maybe five guys in any field that could potentially hang with him and that's what we saw at wingfoot and and you know you go back to detroit that yes he led the field in strokes gained tee to green but he also led in strokes gained putting and he did have that all-around uh game at wingfoot and and so i think that when he's clicking he's going to be really hard to stop and and as you start to look to augusta national as you mentioned he's going to be high variance that's what caught him up uh, in the third round in Vegas, he made a couple of early double bogeys, and that was about it. But you think about Augusta National, I mean, Tiger was spraying it off the tee everywhere last year and won the tournament. Bubba, high variance. You know, when I think of high variance, he, his name pops very quickly to mind. He's won twice there recently. So uh, of all the courses, you feel like Augusta is the place where you could get away with spraying a drive 60 or 50 yards right or left, given the the hole in the situation, you can still get away with it. So, I, yeah, I think that it's going to be a lot of green lights for Bryson and a lot of uh, trajectories and, and shot traces that we've never seen before there. Well, I was listening to Jordan Spieth on the uh, Golf Subpar podcast, and he had mentioned that like Bryson's landing zone on number nine at Augusta is going to be between the scoreboard on one by the entrance and basically where the buy hole uh, used to be or was scheduled to be when uh, Alistair McKenzie designed the hole, the big le- area left of 18 where there's just a big grassy area. Like his, his fairway is legitimately like 1,000 yards wide, maybe like f- 600 yards wide on nine for, for the line he's going to take. And again, like we haven't even seen what he's going to be capable of. And I kind of somewhat cheeky, but somewhat like posted on on Twitter some images of just saying like I went and did like a tracing line of if he hit a big high sweeping draw around the corner on 13 in the right wind, in the right conditions, blah, blah, blah. Conceivably, he could get within 100 yards of the green on 13. And like, do I think that's the line he's going to take? Or, you know, I know he's talked about blowing it into 14 fairway and all that stuff, but like. Bubba had, what, 132 in when he hit, like, a push cut in 2014? Like, Bryson is going to blow it past that if he if he wants to or if he wants if he thinks that's worthwhile. Like, it is going to be absolutely nuts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's going to be one of, if not the biggest storylines. You mentioned how 
this week you felt like it was all Bryce, and even though he finished eighth, and I feel like that's for maybe except for a three or four week uh, period around the PGA. This since the break, is, Bryson has been the number one storyline uh, in golf, and for good reason. And so, yeah, I'm absolutely going to be captivated to see what he does. I do think it's going to be interesting to see how the course plays. You know, all the talk we've heard so far. Uh, you know, because very, very few people in the world have, have seen what Augusta National plays like in November, but everything we've heard is it's going to be longer, it's going to be wetter, it's going to be a little cooler. So potentially, you know, the, he's not going to be able to get quite as far on some of these as you might expect in terms of normal landing zones for April when it's a little bit warmer and, and the grasses are a little bit different. But, you know, even turning the page to, to next spring, you're going to absolutely have a lot of things on, on the table that aren't there for the other, you know, 95 or 96 players in the field. Well, honestly, you say that, and it is alarm bells for me for, like, bigger advantage to Bryson because he carries it the farthest. You know, Cam Champ hits it far, but he hits it way lower and relies a lot more on run, on run out. And if, if the fairways are going to run out some, and they, they haven't in many recent years, they've I don't remember when they started mowing the fairways back towards the tee to kind of limit distance, but, you know, it's not Zach Johnson in 2007 anymore when it's firm and you're able to run it up, down there and keep up with some of these longer guys like – if it's soft, if it's wet, if even if it's a little cool, like what how it worked at Harding Park when it was cool, man, he was still bombing it. It was still out there, and he still had an advantage. And so I that I almost think that the softer it is, the longer it plays, and all that is going to be even even more of an advantage to him. I know, you know, for before Wingfoot, we kind of thought that setup wasn't going to be great for for him, and I'm not falling for that again. Like this, it's it's jumping off the page for me as, as a, uh, I get the people, the reasons why people say he won't win and how much more emphasis there is on the second shot on that golf course and, and the no greens books and all, all the reasons why not. But man, just the, if he finishes outside the top 10, I'd be stunned because of how far down the fairway he's going to get. So, um, he also, some more quotes he had about Augusta. Of course he leads with, I don't want to give too much out. Uh, I feel like at Augusta, if you're in, if you're past 320, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities to have a wider open fairway for me. You look at 13, that's the most exciting hole for me. If it's not into the wind, I feel like there's a tremendous advantage to be gained. Look at number 15 even, that's going to be a tremendous advantage, 17, even 18. If I'm able to clear those bunkers on the last, that would be pretty cool. So we'll see. I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, he goes on to have a bunch of qualifiers about the, you know, the conditions and all that stuff, but blah, blah, blah. But like, he's tipping his hand right there to say like where I am able to hit it and the, the apex I'm able to get it at. I know there's a lot of people shutting me down on Twitter saying you can't get over those trees on 13. I'm like, man, we saw Bubba do it. And this is going to be something even, even more of a launching pad. Yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, reporters spoke to him today after in Vegas after his round and kind of went through it. And he said, basically outside of the par threes, the only hole where his, his, you know, line or, or approach or whatever off the tee is going to be the same as it was last year is going to be number 10. He said, number 10, I'm hitting the same shot as I always do. Other than that, I'm absolutely going to be taking new lines, new trajectories, going to be rewriting the book. Uh, and so, yeah, to your point a few minutes ago, we thought at Wingfoot, you know, narrow fairways, firm, thick rough, that that would do it. That didn't do it. Now you go to the other side, and it's it's going to be wide open and soft, and you feel like, as you said, it's going to give him an advantage as well. I have a tough time concocting any sort of theoretical setup that would really mitigate the advantage to what he's able to do right now off the tee and, and into the greens. It's really going to come down to 
the the one high variance round or the nine hole stretch that we've seen so often, you know, guys like Rory have succumbed to, you know, you can have, you know, an eight hole stretch where you're four or five over and that ends your masters and, and double bogey lurks around uh, every corner there. And it's going to be lurking for him as well, even if he's 50 yards ahead of everyone. Uh, but if he's going to be able to, to mitigate and limit those mistakes, it's going to be very hard not to see him at least contending. And I, and I don't want to get too far down a distance wormhole here. Um, I, I feel like I, I feel like I've made the case a million times, but I still get people asking questions like I don't understand what the big deal is with the ball going so far. And it's essentially for me, as best as I can, sum it up in that it's become just too too emphasized of a part of the game, and it's become too easy to hit it long and straight because of the current technology. And I don't, I have no doubt, as I mentioned earlier, with a spinnier golf ball and a much smaller driver head, there would not be this it, Bryson would have made a cost benefit analysis to try to figure out how to be most efficient and get the ball in the hole. And this is not what he would have landed on. And there could have been changes made in the past to have prevented it getting to this point where the mode, the best way to get a golf ball in a hole is to rear back and hit it as long and far as possible. Do I would, would do as, does a long hitter have an advantage in every possible era of the game? Of course it does. The point is that the technology has made it too easy to hit it very long and straight. And again, we can unpack that for three more hours if we really wanted to. But uh, that's that's where I think things need to be restored. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the the argument of it's too easy to hit it long and straight is one that was probably made in 1995 and 1972, and, and you can go back with different iterations of technology. But to your point, I feel like this, it just feels different. And maybe this is going to be the start of a tipping point that really does enact some fundamental change. But, you know, maybe in a world without Bryson, it still would have been, you know, you still would have seen these numbers start to creep up. Maybe you need someone, you know, shattering the ceiling like he is in real time to to get things to change because otherwise we might have been just drifting along, you know, pretending that it, the problem was not as significant uh, as it's become. At the same time, you know, when you're talking about 99.98 percent of of the golfers in the world don't have it as a problem it's just for the top you know 10 or 20 guys but even now bryson is becoming an outlier of the outliers and i think that that's clearly what's making it a, a more significant more germane topic i'm uh, just for the record pro bifurcation i don't want to take drive big drivers out of you know every you know paying customers hands as far as the people that pay to play golf um you know i don't think that's the answer i think a lot of people get enjoyment out of a lot of this stuff and I will never understand the argument of like, well, you know, I'm an amateur golfer. I got to play the same equipment as the pros play. One, it's not the same. Two, like you use a rangefinder. Pros don't use rangefinders. Like you don't follow the letter of the law to the T to as the same way that, you know, pros do. It's just this, I don't know, the people will bend over backwards to come up with these crazy reasons like, oh, we got to plant more trees. We got to grow the rough up. We got to make fairways even narrower. We got to lower the tee boxes. We got to do all like uh, all the things that people will suggest that should happen before just saying like, hey, let's just fix the equipment. Like the, the equipment companies are the ones that are benefiting, I guess, that people are bending over backwards to protect. And I just don't, don't, don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point that yes, you know, pros are playing with prototypes and and very different clubs than than we're used to. But how clubs are marketed to amateurs is you're going to use the club that this is the club that Bryson won the U.S. Open with. Put it in your bag for you know X ninety nine. Uh, and so I think that that has been become such a, a focal point of of the equipment industry in golf. And I think that that you know is difficult to to take away. And that even if you do have a bifurcation situation of you know 
the the pros are playing this ball that there are some some people that say hey I want to play what Dustin Johnson's playing I want to play the game like Rory does I want to stand on this tee where he did two weeks ago and, and try and hit those same shots and and then you know now we're getting really deep in the rabbit hole but you get into like elite amateur competition like the, the state golf associations and the mid am and things like that like what what equipment do you use there and versus you know your your men's club championship and and things like that where is the the line in the sand going to be between hey this, these are events where you use pro equipment and this is where you can you know use the juice ball and things like that so yeah not to play too much devil's advocate but as it's it, it's a lot to unpack it's it's complicated and i think it now it's it's become especially complicated with how long this has gone on you know i i don't i don't have the easy answer of like let's do this this and this and i don't have the answer to the questions you just asked there and they're very valid questions and like is if the reasons like you know what you know, we've screwed up so much to this point that we can't undo it then maybe that's one of the best arguments for keeping things the way it is <laughs> more so than you know lowering tee boxes and planting 200 foot trees or some of these things that people are talking about but um i didn't want to wait this long to start talking about a women's major but um it wasn't the most exciting viewing today i wouldn't say but how much of the uh, kpmg women's pga did you get to watch yeah, I got to watch some. It, it's certainly uh, a, a fun course. It was a little bit uh, jarring to go from watching Bryson play at TPC Summerlin to then seeing MB Park feel like she's swinging 40 miles an hour <laughs> at Aronimink and just, just hitting every single fairway and doing what she does. Obviously, you know, Se Young Kim was unstoppable on Sunday, and I think that there's really something special about watching a player that just goes on a heater at the exact right time where you just sit there and you're like, man, there's there was no way to beat her today. Uh, and that's what was the case at Aronimink. But I think certainly from a viewer perspective and, and just watching different golf shots being played and a lot of different challenges off the tee, into the greens, around the greens, that, that ticked every single box for me this week. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, not to bring it right back to the distance to discussion we just had, but the contrast in terms of, you know, I don't think the women's game reaps the benefits of the of all of the equipment. You know, si similar to amateurs, they're not getting the same compression that the top level tour pros are getting as far as you know the separation distance wise from the average player. They're just not getting those gains with this, the you know the swing speeds that they have on the LPGA tour. So the game looks a lot more like I think golf should look like, just in terms of the clubs that you have hitting in the greens. Matt Wolf hit a driver hit a wedge into a par five today, and you saw like Brooke Henderson and Se Young Kim and uh, Anna Nordquist playing the five hundred yard par five ninth hole, and none of them could get there in two despite hitting. You know, Brooke had a good drive; she couldn't get up there. Like the the balance just seemed to be restored, and and how you had to chart yourself around that golf course. You know, use slopes, making sure you weren't behind certain slopes. How the ball rolled out with the level you know that they spin it at. It was like. It was amazing golf to watch in that in terms of that and what I think golf could and should look like. And I'm just I'm so pumped that a lot of these events are heading to a lot of these great sites. You know the, the KPMG Women's PGA in particular. Uh, you know they're, they're going to Atlanta Athletic Club next year, Congressional the next year, Baltus Raw, which is just going to be you know courses that we're used to seeing top men's championships at, but a totally different style of play uh, that I think is I really do think is worth people's uh, you know time and effort and you know in December the, the US Women's Open has a great champ, uh, opportunity to kind of be one of the few things that's on TV during that during that time period and not up against other men's events and all kinds of things when they go uh, to the Champions Golf Club in, uh, in in Texas there for the US Women's Open but Sayon Kim final round 63 
absolutely flawless, just hit it every spot she needed to. And she was, I mean, she only won by five, which it felt like she won by more than that. But MB Park was just knocking down the door. It was really weird how the top four separated themselves from everyone else in the field. As, as far, I think she was 10 shots clear of uh, fifth place by the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she was there. There was definitely some separation, and then she separated from there. But uh, yeah, to your your point in the rotation, I I agree. I think that it was a lot of fun to watch Arana make this week. I think I saw Will Haskett put this out on Twitter that you know it was just a couple years ago the BMW was at Arana make, and this golf course looked nothing like that because they got absolutely deluged by rain that week, and it was a Monday finish I think with Keegan and and Justin Rose, and and so it was great to see this course kind of play how it's designed to, to play. You know, I'm a Donald Ross homer, and and so I really loved enjoying it. I think it was Ann Van Dam that hit the this 50 or 60-yard uh, chip shot where she played it up this huge slope behind the green and rolled it back to about, you know, six inches, and some of the imagination that you were able to see this week was just really fun to, to watch from a, a viewing perspective. Uh, but yeah, it, it seemed like, you know, with six or seven holes to go that NB might be chasing down Se Young Kim, who, you know, it's amazing to think that this is her first major, given how accomplished she has been uh, on the LPGA and on the on the global game. She's won a bunch of times on the LPGA Tour. She won the, the Tour Championship uh, last year, the CME Group. And so she is absolutely uh, accomplished, but she picked a, a great day to have a great day. And, and as a result, as you said, it's, it's a five-shot win that feels like it should have been more. Yeah, and, and to that exact point, I was at that uh, BMW Championship, and granted, it was extremely different conditions. But like, the, if you if you just put, I would love for somebody to just like make a highlight tape as if they're playing the same golf course right now. You know, all right, let's cut over at Keegan Bradley one. Let's cut over to Keegan Bradley his shot, and then cutting over to Seon Kim's shot, and just like watch the difference in how those golf balls played in terms of guys blowing it over bunkers, and just I I, I played Aronimic before the BMW. I was like, man, I can't wait to watch the pros play this. This will be so cool. And was out there that week, and then was like, actually, you know what? This isn't that cool because these fairways are too wide for these guys because uh, you know they're bombing it over all the bunkers. There's no real risk in the tee shots. It's driver wedge, and the scores were crazy, crazy low. And this this week, it was like, yeah, there were eight players under par uh, for the entire field, and they didn't even play it that that long. So. Um, I know it's it's a it's a lot to ask for people to uh, to watch some you know with all the other sports going on, but hopefully people were able to tune uh, tune in and see some of that because it is it's a championship we've been able to attend the last couple of years and and you know we've kind of been able to see it up close and personal. So it might be I might be a little biased and tied to this event, but I really have, I've enjoyed watching this over the last couple of years. So um, big money yeah, event absolutely. too for for the women. I mean it's six hundred forty five k for say on Kim. It's it's one of the uh, one of the true big money events up there. And, and Jennifer Cupcho with a, a sneaky uh, a T7 after a, she had a second round 65. And then have you watched any of this? Uh, I, I'm going to mess up her last name. Bianca, do you know how to say her last name? <laughs> I'm going to let you hang on it there. Uh, Pagdenon? I'm Pag, not sure. Pagdenon? I'm going to get yeah. it, I promise. But yeah. she's got some major swing speed. She, I don't know if she's got like Bryson level of separation in terms of distance, but it's going to be very interesting to follow her career. She finished tied for ninth. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, I think she shot seventy seven in the in the opening round or something like that? I mean, it was seventy seven sixty five first two days. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that catches my eye. Anytime you do that at a major at a level like this, that is something to to tuck away, you know, for for six months, twelve months down the line, because that is really a big sign of of what's to come. Uh, Tyrrell Hatton wins the BMW PGA Championship. You know, my first move, I got to get a little dig in on this. Uh, he got 64 first place points for that uh, for the official World Golf Rankings with a uh, strength of field of 258. It would have been 46 first place points without the uh, points boost that comes with it being a flagship event. 
Uh, for the record, the Zozo had a strength of field of 526 last year, and that's what it took to get a uh, first place. Uh, it's for first place to get 64 points out of that. So strength of field was 392 compared to 258 for BMW, and uh, Martin Laird only got 54 first place points for winning that one. So I saw you poking the bear on Twitter over this, so I knew this was coming. Uh, <laughs> listen, okay, first of all, I will I will again play devil's advocate. It's the flagship event, so you only get this booster yeah, once. Yeah, but what does that it's- mean? Okay, if flagship should be like it, it shouldn't matter because it should be a great field, and that's where you get all the points from. You shouldn't just get a big points boost for saying this is a flagship event. Right, but I think that if you go back historically over the last you know eight or ten years, I don't think that the BMW has needed the boost. I you know I haven't done the the deep dive on the strength of field, but I feel like more often than not, this tournament delivers a big field, and I think that this was something where the pandemic and the the international travel and things like that especially uh, hurt it. And and so I in in 2020, I don't have a problem with them getting a little bit of a, admittedly artificial boost. And uh, you know they had a, a good leaderboard. You had a lot of you know decorated champions, Shane. Lowry was up there uh, through the first couple rounds. Tyrrell Hatton is a guy who now is in the top 10 in the world ranking. No one is accusing him of being, you know, a, a 400th ranked also ran that now is, is going to play his way into majors. This is a guy who won already this year on the PJ Tour. He's a very good player. He's, he's played on the Ryder Cup and probably will next year. Uh, so I, I think that given all the circumstances going on with the pandemic, going on with the fact that you only get one of these flagship boosters in the entire year, I didn't have a big deal about it, but I appreciate that you were staying true to your soapbox. <laughs> Well, I got bad news for you because I, do- I did d- oh, no. dive into this. In I think this was back during the quarantine. We did a pod on the official World Golf Rankings. But uh, 2018, the field strength was 283, Oof. which is yeah, pretty much similar not, not to the specific. Doesn't, doesn't help you much there. In 2019, I believe the field strength was 412, so a lot higher than 18. Um, but this and is that not was with, necessarily. That was with the date shift, right? I think last year was the first year it went to the fall. I might have some of the years wrong a little bit. So the the it, it was a weak field in particular this year, but it, it it's, it's dipped down in the two hundreds in the past. So, but it's a uh, I just found, with all the whinging that happened when the PGA Tour started back up their world ranking points. I was waiting for this week because I knew this was going to happen. How the Shriners got a much better field than the BMW PGA, and and uh, and they still got a a ton of points. Over there, but congrats to Tyrrell Hatton. I I don't I say that a somewhat tongue tongue in cheek, but uh, he has now moved up to tenth ranked player in the world with the uh, with that little boost that he got, and uh, I know it's a big win for him. So, yeah, I, I will say uh, Tyrrell Hatton is very quickly rising up my power rankings of guys I'm most interested in watching on live television because he is one swing away from a tomahawk or a a you know flip the bird whatever a, a Tyrrell Hatton meltdown is world-class in and of itself and the fact that it doesn't take much to go from from zero to meltdown with him uh makes him borderline must-see television especially when he's around the lead like he was this week I'm with you there I I enjoy watching him because he is he is theater and you know it, it, it is every time he you know he'll hit a shot he'll say something the commentators will say well we don't need to say anything when when you know Tyrrell Haddon's playing he'll do all the work for you they do do that every single time which I do get a little bit of a kick out of what happened I was kind of out on this were people talking about hoodies this week on Twitter were people upset about you yeah. know what 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 can you catch me up there uh, so I feel like I might be dating myself here, but if you, uh, David Letterman used to do a, a thing on his show where it was like is this something. <laughs> and I, I don't know, like, is, are the hoodies debate, is this something? Uh, maybe, you know, golf Twitter, it was a little light on the schedule this past week. Uh, there were apparently some people that were ruffled up about, you know, multiple people playing in hoodies. Terrell Hatton wins. I think Daniel Kang was 
uh, wearing one at some point this week at a run and make. But personally, I, listen, I don't care. I, I think you wear whatever you want. I'm, I'm, you know, of the mind that if you want to wear a, a T-shirt at a, a public course, you should be able to go play. Uh, I went over to the cradle for the first time a, a month or so ago and played with people that were barefoot and I had a great time and it was awesome. And I am very much of a mind that uh, golf as a macro level sport needs to be more inclusive and you don't need to be uh, drawing these lines of no, you don't you, you get finger wagged away from the first tee because, uh, you know, your shorts are too short or, or you're wearing a hoodie or things like that. I couldn't I couldn't even muster up any take that's any different than that. I was like, yeah, you can wear a hoodie on a golf course. Come on. Let's that that that's open and shut case, Johnson, and then move on from that one. And this is not the first time like Tony Finau has worn it in multiple yeah. events. Justin Thomas has worn it. This is not like Tyrrell Hatton was not the first guy to show up with a hoodie. It's just happened to get some traction over the, the first few days. Yeah, I thought we were past this. That's why I was like, wait, why is this why is this a you know somewhat trending topic? But um Looking ahead, CJ Cup at Sherwood this week. We have a uh, Brooks Kepka. I feel like you're the man on the Brooks Kepka beat. I feel like <laughs> I feel like he, he gets forgotten about by a lot of people at times, and I feel like you are just closely following the Kepka story at all times. Uh, per- perhaps I don't know. I was I happened to be at the Wyndham. I was out there with him when he uh, came up lame, so to speak. That he was definitely more injured than he was he was letting on, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's it's going to be interesting to see. There was a part of me that thought when he didn't play the U.S. Open, I thought he might not make the Masters. And still, there's going to be a lot of questions about you know his health going forward in the next few weeks. And and it seemed from talking to him and kind of reading between the lines because he was addressing it like a hockey player where he just would say, "I have a lower body injury." He wouldn't say if it's a, if it's his knee, if it's his hip, or what's going on. Uh, he was playing very coy at the time, and then you know missed the playoffs missed uh the u.s open after that so uh, you know i want to see if he's going to be able to get back to 100 percent or even close to it without potentially having a surgery or, or a, a procedure that might knock him out for a little bit longer clearly the you know he had arthroscopic surgery in august of 2019 and whether that didn't do the trick or whether he re-aggravated it at the cj cup when he slipped on on some wet cart path uh a couple months later Whatever, whatever the case may be, he was far from 100% for the entirety of 2020 to this point. He said that he has rested and rehabbed over the last few weeks. Uh, and I, personally, I would have loved for Bryson to play uh, next week just so we can get Brooks and Bryson in the same field for the first time in a while. It seems like we're going to have to wait until the Masters for that. But uh, absolutely, of you got the top five in the world all playing next week at Shadow Creek. But uh, Brooks Kepke is a guy to, to circle for sure. Yep. No, I feel like he's he is easy to kind of forget about, but uh, I, I'm I'm super keen to see you know what kind of what kind, what his game looks like here. Not to say that he's bulked up to to keep up with Bryson, but the Bryson you know kind of poking fun at him and whatnot that that period might not might have that ship might have sailed right because it might be <laughs> Bryson's world that we're living in. I know it's four majors to one, but I, he can't be feeling himself nearly as much as uh, going into going into this little stretch here. Phil's yeah, absolutely. Phil's and, I, and I wonder, sorry, before we get to Phil, I, I wonder how much of that is going to affect Brooks because it felt like so much of his his aura is this, you know, self-belief of invincibility that he does right. have that swagger and deserves it. Now, how much is he, you know, if he gets knocked down a peg or two while he's watching at home on the couch, how much of that is going to impact his ability to get back to that level that we saw? Yeah. Um, yeah, Phil's teeing it up on the Champions Tour. I don't have much more than that. I know we kind of teased it earlier, but saw some numbers popping up uh, from on Rory's Instagram that he's hitting 190 miles an hour ball speed. I mean, there's no way to say it any other way, right? This is a this is Bryson driven, right? 
Uh, potentially, I got to go back on the on the timeline, and I feel like Phil might have been doing these whole you know bombs and hellacious seed stuff before, uh, or around the same time that Bryson started doing it. But I I do agree that it's all the same uh, mindset of of really trying to push the envelope and get whatever he can out of it. Uh, I will say, are are you at all surprised that Phil did not get a sponsor invite into Shadow Creek? I mean, it was two years ago that he he and Tiger. Uh, you know, effectively put Shadow Creek on the public map with the with the match, and now you've got six or eight sponsor invites. I know it's a tough race to get these sponsor invites for this this event. I think Spieth, Fowler, Justin Rose, Poulter, I believe, has one. So it's not like uh, they're going to also Rands. But I thought it was interesting that that you know f- the reason Phil's playing the Champions Tour is because he's not in the field at Shadow Creek this week. How how did they fill the field this week? I mean, I, what, Spieth needed a, a sponsor exemption. Rose needed a sponsor exemption. Yeah, I th- I got to go back and see, but I think it's it's like top sixty on the last year's FedEx Cup oh, got okay. in, and then they kind of go from there. And you know, usually this is one that they've got you know eight or ten spots for top uh, you know Korean players or Asian tour players, and I think they've they tweaked that a little bit this year because of the relocation. But yeah, it was it was one that is not uh, especially easy to get into. Huh? I can't imagine Phil not being able to get a sponsor exemption, but that is. Uh... I had not had not put thought into that. You're 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 way closer to that beat than than I than I might be. Maybe he just wanted to go and and you know beat up on the over fifty guys in North Carolina. I don't know, but I feel like <laughs> knowing Phil, I, I think he might have enjoyed a week in Vegas at Shadow Creek. Um, I, I've got a couple Bryson uh, just quotes in here in my notes here that I, I want to tie in, and one here relates to Rory. But uh, the the way this quote starts, I had to use, which was. You know, Einstein was always called a crazy man or somebody that was defying what was actually possible until he started to prove or people started uh, to prove his theories correct. Then everybody started to love them. There will always be people that when they're pushing down the road and they're trying to get ahead of the curve, there will be naysayers. But I think it's a tremendous compliment with Rory posting his speed numbers. It's super cool, and I can't wait to battle him with those numbers. It's going to be great for the game of golf and everybody in general. Hopefully the next generation that comes up, it will be some inspiration too. So he definitely thinks it's related to uh, to, to his speed bump. I, I feel like I'm going to, anytime you have a, a quote that starts with, you know, Einstein, dot, dot, yeah. dot, I'm just immediately <laughs> just going to bristle. And it goes back to just, just playing the entire PR game of like, we're past this point. Like, we're not talking about the one length irons. We're not talking about you floating balls and Epsom salt anymore. You can move on from, you know, the previous chapters of the Bryson anthology and just, just talk about what's going on uh in in the current game and what you're doing to it and that's one where i just kind of i roll my eyes a little bit when we go back down that rabbit hole he, he's just a content machine man um <laughs> i know you got some uh, as we go to wrap here i know you got a little bit of a uh, little bit of news to share yeah yeah so uh you know my there there are some changes going on right now at, at golf channel and my role is uh changing i'm excited for it i'm, I'm switching uh teams a little bit but staying in-house with NBC Sports and and they're getting much deeper uh in the last few and, and the coming few months into the world of sports betting and I'm going to be a part of that where uh I'm going to continue to do golf content and things like that but I'm going to be managing uh, all of the betting related content as it pertains to NBC Sports and I'm also adding uh Premier League Soccer and NASCAR to my portfolio so I'll be brushing up uh, on a couple of new sports but I'm really excited to to get involved in that and still stay very much within the golf sphere and clearly with you know the PJ Tour embracing sports betting with open arms I think that it's it's absolutely a great time to to get involved in this uh, sector of things and and see where it goes from here but uh, yeah it's certainly been it's been an interesting summer but I'm excited to uh, turn this next next page and get into a new chapter 
as we approach midnight here on on Sunday night, is this <laughs> is this the last official thing you'll be doing for Golf Channel? This this podcast. This is it. You got me. Uh, right. I I filed I filed my last blog. I will say uh, there's a chance that I will still pop up uh, on the Golf Channel blog here and there because uh, you know once you get to Masters Week and things like that, it's all hands on deck. But yeah, I think that uh, if you're listening to this after about lunchtime on Monday, you can probably see the tweet that I've sent uh, announcing it. And I do think it's going to be a, you know a great opportunity to get in with the folks at at NBC Sports and and you know continue to stay with within the golf sphere that, that you and I have come to know and love and add a few more uh, arrows to my quiver well I can't wait to see it um, I'm excited to uh, to see the next step for you but uh, keep keep staying on top of things on Twitter man you're the you and Lavner <laughs> like the guys I go to for like what's going on in the golf world you stay on the, the, the pulse you stay on the pulse better than uh, than I'm able to and, and whatnot so uh, thanks a ton for your time this evening and uh, sharing some insights on a pretty pretty decently decent week in in, the, in golf uh, aside from fo- pu- pushing football aside for a little bit this was uh, this was a fun one so thanks for your time will and uh, look forward to see what's next for you yeah Solly always good to be with you this was nice it, it distracted me from the Dak Prescott injury I didn't have to scroll through much of that uh, in prepping for this so, uh, I haven't good seen time. it yet and I uh, I'm I'm avoiding it at all costs uh, yes. and the, the Lakers won the title as we were uh, as uh, we were as we were recording this which I think we saw coming but uh, there you go uh, yeah, good, t- tough good. night for the LeBron haters, but uh, yeah, <laughs> LeBron haters, Bryson haters—they're you know—it's it's tough to be in the hater industry these days. But yeah, it's always always good to be with you. Uh, enjoy your stuff, keep it up. And I'm sure I'll see you down the road. All right, cheers, brother. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than me!